Hey, welcome to Movies with a Spine, the show where we pick a Criterion edition and tell you if it's worth a buy, a stream, or if you should leave it alone. Uh, my name is Nathan, and I'm joined here by Chris. Ryan. <laughs> I'm Ryan. Well, I'm Chris. And today we are covering Spine 62, The Passion Joan of Arc, the 1928 classic directed by Carl Theodore Dreyer and starring Renee Falconetti. This movie follows Joan of Arc after being captured and her subsequent trial. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, guys, um, well, let's talk a little bit about the movie. So, uh, uh, who who picked like who picked this? How did we how do we come to the decision to do number sixty two after we did two? Well, I yeah, I don't I don't know how we got there. I just remember Nathan was like, "Hey, you guys want to do Passion of Joan of Arc?" And I'm like. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, I think Ryan, like a couple weeks before, I go, like, "Oh, I could rewatch that," and then it's it's one of my favorite movies, so I was like, "Let's do it, <laughs> let's let's go for it." So, uh, well, yeah, I would say this: I've never seen this movie before uh, now, um, uh, but I thought it was a good choice because last week, last episode, we did Seven Samurai, and I would describe Seven Samurai as kind of like a movie one one, right? A lot of techniques. Uh, filmmaking history you know it created so much new at the time action photography and ways to shoot uh, just film in general Uh, and I think here this is almost like movie 102 almost in a lot of ways like fast-paced editing uh, close-ups yeah it's definitely a lot more intimate compared to seven samurai i mean seven samurai you know it's just this big grand sweeping battles and uh like a huge ensemble cast but i mean really i mean it's like the only character we really get like layers to is is joan so it's definitely like a more of a character piece than it is like a big ensemble cast yeah which you can tell just by like from an editing and shot standpoint this movie is mostly close up it's mostly her face that's that's what we get a lot of um, but you'd expect like slow edits, but it is extremely fast paced. It is crazy. The amount of cuts in this movie, I think there's over a thousand. Yeah, I, I wrote it down, actually. In the commentary, he says um, normally in a film at this time, there would be about 500 to 1000 shots. But in this, there's uh, 1517 uh, edits here, cuts. Um which is insane. Uh, uh, now, why this is like, so like I said, movie 102 uh, is because, you know, Seven Samurai is a, you know, it's about a group. It's about camaraderie. It's about working together with a team and how, you know, coming together is so important to solve a problem. But in this, it's about the individual. This is a very individualistic movie about how one person 
it's one person's struggle and one person how they've inspired a nation, a world at this point, you know, and uh, transcended to become a saint, right? It is uh, what I would say is missing from a Seven Samurai conversation, uh, if we're talking about, you know, because we're talking about the group, right? So we're on the flip side here. Uh, so, I mean, I like historical context wise, I mean, like how much do you guys really know about Joan of Arc before we went into this? Uh, you know, in my case, I'd say it's mostly culture through pop culture and things like that. I don't, I don't remember learning about Joan of Arc much in history class, really. I mean, I knew Joan of Arc. I think everyone knows Joan of Arc. She's just become one of those iconic figures, uh, in history. But when I think of Joan and Arc, Joan of Arc, honestly, what comes to mind is like, uh, a Simpsons episode that I saw once and Bill and Ted. I was literally going to say, I like that's like my only real, I mean, cause we never talked about Joan of Arc as in history, like in, in my school at all. I mean, so, I mean, I was, you know, other than, you know, she heard voices and Bill and Ted, that's, that's about all I knew about Joan of Arc before this. But she's one of those figures where it's like, you know, it's all about war and then her execution, right? She led an army to battle and then she was executed and it's like, oh, it's a tragedy. She died young, you know, one of yeah. those situations. And, you know, the religious aspect too, you learn about for sure. Like as she's a, she's a martyr, you know, um, and this film definitely makes a point to highlight a different aspect of Joan of Arc. I mean, in the commentary, they talk about, or he talks about, how uh, she doesn't seem like the Joan of Arc we know in this film. She's not like someone that seems like they could have led an army. I didn't know anything really about Joan of Arc except like, oh, you know, she talked to God. Um, but I actually took a class in um, college about just kind of figures in cinema, kind of people that have the most movies. So we talked about like Robin Hood and um, a, a Dracula and Joan of Arc came up. And we actually watched a couple other movies before we got to this one. So I feel like I got a good education on it. Um, this one is definitely different from everything else you get from a Joan of Arc movie. Um, most are like, like um, there's one from the 90s that's like a sweeping epic that covers the war and battles. Um, and this one definitely paints Joan as a different figure. I feel like Joan gets painted as kind of a, I don't know how to say it, just a strong, just like, big like you know she fought wars you know she led battles she's like this huge like figure even in another trial movie she's a little more snarky you know it's more like just straight comebacks and she comes back in this one but it's definitely like through emotions fighting through tears it's um it's definitely a different take on the joan thing um so yeah. this kind of taught me a little bit more yeah and i think uh i mean you know, that's what a lot of people said. And, you know, I did my own kind of research about how accurate this is to Joan of Arc. And a lot of people did say she is a lot more headstrong, a lot more uh, wittier. Like she very passionate, courageous person. But one thing, you know, we do need to point out or I want to point out is that, you know, this movie is at jo Joan of Arc's last days of her life. So she's already experienced all these wars and everything. So I don't. And we don't really know what it was like. I mean, that was so long ago. So the only thing you can read into is just the context of the quotes because 
a lot of the dialogue in the movie is taken verbatim from the uh, trial documents. But, but you know, but my point was I was trying to make is that we don't know what she could have been like. I mean, this could have been her, you know, at her wit's end. You know, she's already, you know, been through war. She's had the trauma of war. Maybe this is her just kind of like, all those emotions are just kind of running over and this is kind of like her breaking point. Yeah, and I, I think that's what's so great about this story is you can interpret it because we, you know, we don't really know anything. We just have the words. And I think as far as the words go, you know, it, we, we can take it as like how it was said or how it came out in different ways. And I think uh, Dreyer here, he definitely put his own thoughts on what he felt like Joan was doing at that time. Yeah. Um, uh, while this movie was being made, there was another movie being made called The Wonderful Life of Joan of Arc. Uh, <laughs> and it was also a French production, uh, a big French production full of, you know, big sets, uh, giant, you know, giant cast, lots of people, magnificent score, all the stuff you'd expect from a big epic, um, as opposed to this film, which is, you know, we'll get into it, but it's a complete opposite of that. Uh, but Dreyer commenting on that film said, well, that film is true. And also my movie is true. Um, he wants to capture the opposite. You know, he wants to do Joan in her raw emotional form and try to find the truth, right. Of somebody who's, you know, on trial for their beliefs and slowly realizing you know, you know, it's someone at first who wants to live. They want to, you know, go back home, but then realizing that they're going to die for those beliefs and coming to terms with that, coming to terms with death and uh, realizing, you know, they're a martyr and that's what they're meant to do. That's their victory. They're martyrdom. And staying, staying true to who you are, I guess, and what you believe yeah that's mission in life yeah it's definitely themes here it's a it's a dark movie like, joan you know, of arc a lot of uh you know like a blues brother she's on a mission from god right <laughs> yeah in a less comedic way right <laughs> sure you this movie <laughs> <laughs> um, the one thing but, missing from joan of arc was a car chase yeah i i wish i wish she escaped prison and just drove off in a car that would have been nice <laughs> uh, but uh but yeah she's fighting for what you believe in and dying for what you believe in right that's what joan embodies and like even then she has a breaking point because you know it's truthful to what happened was in the end she signs a paper saying like oh the church is right i'm wrong but instantly comes to regret that decision because she chose her life over god there's another instance of a dryer trying to stick to the truth as much as possible that that note uh is like an exact replica of the actual note she signed and like he wanted to get everything correct and the signature she signed her name but put a cross and in the commentary he says that's supposed to be her saying not yeah this 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 doesn't count <laughs> It doesn't count. I'm holding my uh, fingers behind my back, you know. <laughs> yeah, classic. Yeah, uh, yeah. and prankster. <laughs> and like, honestly, some of these comebacks she has in this movie, I don't know. They come off really like, like boom, like in their face. Um, 
it, she definitely like has that little bit of wit to her, especially just from, and this is from like actual trial writing. So I think that's an interesting thing that we get the, we get a little glimpse of, right? Yeah, and I mean, she almost comes across as a lot more knowledgeable about uh, religious, like theological, uh, like philosophy, just, you know, because when they say, you know, like, was he was he naked? Was Did he have his hair long? She's like, well, why would he need clothes? Why would he need, I mean, or, you know, do you think God couldn't clothe him? Why would he need long hair? Why would he cut it? You know, it's, so it's like, she's throwing a lot of this stuff back at, back at them too. And I mean, especially in that trial scene, I think you can, it's, it really starts revealing like what their motives are because, you know, when the movie starts, the trial, the interrogation begins. So we don't have any context. There's no like, oh, well, Joan is under trial for this and that. You have to figure it all for yourself. So when they're, when they're giving her a lot of these questions, um, you kind of figure out like, why is she under trial? Like all that stuff is revealed like in the opening scene. And then you kind of feel like, okay, all these priests who are questioning her, they have very ulterior motives. They're not really being, they're already looking, they already have that she's guilty before they've even started the trial. The movie begins by telling us, telling us this is based off a true story. We're trying to be as true as possible. And it, it shows you like what's supposed to be the actual document uh, of the, you know, the transcription of the whole court case. And throughout the movie, you'll spot the transcriber in the background, like, you know, scribbling away. And sometimes like in the torture room scene, like the pen, there's, it's just like a kind of, that's more of a visual metal metaphor, but he's like dropping the pen uh, when that's happening. Yeah. Which is, which is interesting. And like, and, and it's interesting that, you know, when they're transcribing and capture all of this, it's like now looking back on it, we can see, like, oh, these people were just trying to trap Joan. They were just trying to make it so she would recant. And it was definitely more than just like religious motives. There was ulterior motives to it, um, looking back on it. And I, and I, I, find, I find that interesting, at, at least like from a film standpoint, because um, it's a word we brought up a lot and that's realism. And I think that's this movie, um, as far as silent films go at that time, this is uh, very close to real. Um, one of the most interesting scenes I learned about here is the bloodletting scene where she's feverish and she go and the blood she goes to get cut and blood just flows out. Real blood. That was a real extra. And um, once I learned that, I was grossed out every time after I watched it. I was like, "Oh my god, this is this is awful." Not only that, but I, also in the special features, we learned that they had to do that scene twice. So there's there's two instances where a person a live person has to have their arms sliced open. And that second cut is even worse because like the first one for the movie, it's like blood, it's flowing out. The second one, it's like barely coming out. They had and to like, yeah, they had to they, they had to <laughs> squeeze the arm. Like it was so gross. Yeah, and that's just like uh, it's definitely drier because I watched a few of his other movies, and that's just what he's all about. He's very about realism. He hates makeup. He talks about this movie being his favorite one to make just because nobody wore makeup. He didn't have to deal with that. Yeah, he um, wouldn't allow any of the actors on set anywhere yeah. near makeup. And I guess Falconetti was was okay with that. There was just she didn't want her hair cut. That was one of the realism points where you know they shaved her head. She was against it fully, but 
he had his way and she she did it for the movie uh the makeup thing that was a big deal i guess at the time every single review for this film mentioned the lack of makeup and that's not just because of like a like you know like a stereotypical you know movie ego thing but because at the time film stock had was like it was hard to capture someone's face in a film properly like you'd be too I don't know, I guess too bright or, you know, not enough detail. There wouldn't be enough detail in the face unless you were wearing makeup. Um, and that's because it, it was like, a, it was a new technology at the time that they used for this movie. I wrote it down here. I, I yeah, it was like, it was like a new type of uh, film stock, right? That was able to capture people's faces better than ever before without like, you know, dabbing on crazy amounts of uh Well, yeah, makeup. when you think of like, when you think of like an old, silent movie especially from like the uh 1910s you think of like very pronounced like facial features like yeah like very dark eye shadow on the eye very pronounced like long eyelashes like thick coats of lipstick on just just so that way because i mean so this one you know you can actually see like the full structure of their face instead of pounds of makeup on oh yeah which he used panchromatic stock which made it possible to shoot faces without makeup and uh, the like, the walls in this movie, which are very prominent, uh, were painted yellow because that registered as white on that stock. And obviously, there's a whole thing about no makeup that make means the truth, and which is what Dreyer's whole thing was with this movie. Uh, when he he had a, a, an idea for this film a long time ago, like when he was younger, which was that to tell the, the whole truth in a film you would have to make it entirely of close-ups. So you, cause he thinks the face was the, the part of the body that, that, that told the truth, that told the most, right? I guess the most emotion. So, I mean, he got to make it. This is the movie that he's been wanting to make, you know, since he was young. Um, and it's interesting that a movie that's so full of close-ups has no makeup. Yeah, right. Isn't that isn't that interesting? And I, I do want to say, like, this is a movie he dreamed of making from when he was young. But Joan Arc was very much in fashion because he she was only made a saint like few years before this movie got made. That's why there's there were so many Joan of Arc movies at the time. So it, it came at the right time for him. It was like the 500th anniversary, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Insane. Um, I mean, thinking about it, like, it's just this movie is kind of insane to me um reading hearing about hearing from the commentary uh because this is a movie that is all close-ups um and it's you know it's close-ups not just you know straight on but he'll he'll put characters in the corner of the screen or he'll have them lined up right behind each other or just like in weird different places but it is mostly close-ups and what is what's crazy about that i mean obviously the fact that you know the producers are probably like sweating bullets like oh god you can't just make a movie of close-ups you're nuts not only that but the fact that he had a giant set they built a castle for this movie and it was one of the most expensive sets at the time in france i believe it it cost about um at first seven million francs but then it went to nine million francs that was the whole budget for this film uh which at the time was a crazy amount of money yeah, so the majority of the budget went into the scenery, and we barely see it. You 
barely see any of it until maybe the end. That's when you see all the the extras running on screen and mm-hmm. everything. That's when I was like, oh, this must have been, you know, this must have been expensive. <laughs> right? Yeah. Because like otherwise close-ups are on like white walls or yellow walls as we come to find out. But you know, that you don't really see much, you know. Uh, the torture room looks very bare. Um, but yeah, I guess I guess it was a really expensive set. And then and one of the special features, they had recreated models of the set, which I thought was really cool. And then you can I think you can truly see like the scope and size of what they had built. And it wasn't just the fact that it was expensive either. It was also the fact that the shooting for this film went from like it was like may to november right yeah it's like insane it's insane it's this movie's only an hour and a half long depending on what you're watching either hour and a half or around 20 and i mean you know there's a lot of cuts in this film a lot of shots but i i guess dryer was just a madman yeah at this time right because because um Later on, I watched all of his sound movies. So all the movies after this one was made. Um, and he's all about slow takes and no cuts. He definitely moved into that. Like um, his last movie, Gertrude, I think has like shots that last for like 15 minutes, you know. And this one is so different, like from an editing standpoint than the rest of his filmography, which I find so interesting. It's like the oddball one. I mean, it covers themes that he, like oppression of women religion is themes you'd cover but as far as like editing completely different and i think that's really neat yeah i think they said like the longest uninterrupted shot i think was her at the end like with that at the stake isn't that correct like that was like the that was that was like the longest uninterrupted shot without any cuts yeah which i think that definitely makes sense (laughs) that's definitely like the important like like it really hits home like at the end like let like the feeling you get in the last 10 minutes of this movie, she goes to the stake and, and there's riots, which is not something that didn't happen. That actually is something that never happened, but is like a perfect ending of just like all this like anger and like fear just kind of bubbling up and pushing back. It creates a really great climax. Uh, yeah, th- about the editing, he was definitely, he was inspired largely by Battleship Potemkin. Yeah, yeah, and, no, and you can tell in the end, like it's so like like the um, the stairs. But, yeah, so, especially too with the uh, cannon rotating, which they said, yeah, cannons couldn't do that; they were very stationary; they can never rotate. So that was that was also taken from that movie, right? And uh, I mean, for a movie that's such, you know, it's <laughs> inspired by Battleship Potemkin, it's like a love letter. Uh, Eisenstein, <laughs> Eisenstein himself this. said, yeah. He's like, nah, it's not a film, but it is a series of wonderful photos. Which, yeah. Oh, that, that must have not felt good. And that's know? like the overall consensus, sadly, at the time was like, this is just like kind of just an art film, like a failed art film. And like, he didn't want it. Dreyer did not want it to be an art film. He thought it was a movie for everybody. But uh, at the time, it wasn't really considered that. I mean, critics critics liked it at yeah. the time. I mean, it was regarded, it was like, this. this was like a masterpiece. But the reputation kind of morphed into like yeah this is just like this is like an avant-garde uh, weirdo experimental thing not not for the not for the normies you know not for the casuals but the, but i guess they had like uh i guess like a weekend or something where it was free 
for workers to watch, right? Or was it like the unemployed or something? Yeah, they yeah they had like a bunch of like I'm not too sure about what behind that was, but just a bunch of like everyday workers watched it, and I and I guess and then they took a survey afterward, and a lot of them loved it. Yeah, I yeah I, I personally believe like it's like I get what they're coming from as far as like avant garde, but no, like I think the power of this movie comes from Falconetti. Like uh, I want to like take a moment to talk about how amazing her performance is. Like, I think she is brilliant and really ties everything together. Like she cries so much in this movie and most movies that get tiring, but something about this, you can really feel that emotion and power behind it. Yeah. I, in, in term, in my opinion, like this, I, I mean, I know this is pretty high praise, but, I feel like this is one of the top 10 best acting performances in a movie for me. I mean, I just, I mean, you know, there's a lot of performances I've been moved by, but just like this one is just, it's so haunting. I can remember images of her crying and like their close-up images of her face when she smiles. So, and even like the cover photo, like with, with her, with the, uh, with the crown on uh, that one, it just always sticks out in my mind. So, I mean, it's just, she gives such an iconic performance and I mean, it's so crazy to think what a career she could have had, but I, you know, I guess she was more of a stage performer than anything, but uh, it really seems like we, uh, if she kept acting, I, I really would have been curious what, what she could have given us if she did. Right. At the time she was famous for comedic theater shows in France. And in fact, I guess every, a lot of, you know, a lot of the actors in the movie are really, were, were, were really famous in France in like the 1930s. Uh, some of them went on to be like huge or were huge at the time. And uh, Dreyer made a point not to uh, put any of their names in the movie because of realism, you know, uh, which uh, you're, you're making, you know, this isn't a found footage movie, buddy. Okay. A <laughs> <laughs> uh, silent found but footage. But yeah, she... She gives a I'm, she gives a performance that I think now is rightly being, uh, you know, stated as uh, one of the like most important like silent film performances. One of those performances that, you know, if you want to be an actor or you're a film buff, you got to see, you got to watch. Yeah, you really do. Absolutely um, need to watch. And one one later performance that I would say was definitely inspired by this uh, was. Cheryl Lee in, in Twin Peaks Fire Walk with me. Uh, I could see David Lynch was probably definitely influenced. You guys haven't seen it. But no. Def, David Lynch was probably influenced by this film. But hey, uh, it's a Cheryl, Criterion edition. Maybe one day. Because Cheryl Lee, Cheryl Lee in Twin Peaks Fire Walk with me is one of my favorite performances in, in a movie in general. One of my top five performances. So, um, yeah, she... Yeah. I, I I was kind of disappointed by the supplements for this movie. They didn't really go into Falconetti that much. I was a little disappointed. I know um, who was it? Who was like a relative of hers that? It was her. It, it was her daughter. Daughter. I that was a little disappointing because I could not understand a word she was saying and there was that, no subtitles. So yeah, that's that was the biggest thing. So I mean, one okay. So one important context is you know Falconetti. She was born in the eighteen hundreds, and so. And I don't know how old her daughter was, but I believe the interview was done in the 90s. Yeah, for so the DVD it, release. Right. So 
this woman, you know, it is her daughter, but her daughter is an elderly woman at this point. English is not her first language. And when she does speak in English, she puts in a lot of French words in as well. So it's, it's not the most uh, informative. Yeah, and I don't know why they don't put they didn't put any captions on this one, like because yeah, yeah. um, they put captions every time she said a French word. It was like, oh, this is what this French word means. But other other than that, they didn't do anything else. I'm like, oh, why why not? Yeah, it's only eight minutes long, but I shut it off. I shut it off. I wasn't getting anything from it. I wasn't. I I mean, like, look, put some look. I'll read a transcript. Maybe I should have probably looked the transcript up, but I just wasn't getting anything yeah no um, i mean like you know it's just at the end of the day it was it was weird that they didn't do that right they didn't put subtitles i, yeah. I just thought that was a little odd especially since this was made in the 90s that that like interview for the dvd release from 1999 um and like now bringing it to blu-ray you could have like done something added a little bit to that but so i think that was an interview done for einhorn's uh, score which was the voice like because he really went into it like he uh he went to all these spots where Joan of Arc like the church she went to and everything he went to her hometown just to because he wanted to get a feeling for who she was as a person and I don't do you guys want to get into the supplements the special features well we can go in I, I feel like maybe start with the the scores right because that's a big yeah part of it. that's um, that's the main that's that's really yeah. like the main event of this blu-ray yeah. I mean because there isn't a ton of supplements, but there are many different versions of the movie. Yeah, because I guess one of the big things, I think if you buy this, watch the version history and the frame rate video before, because that gives a great context on like what how you should watch this, because nobody truly knows what frame rate this movie should play in, because it, it, it's either played at 24 or, um, or 20, right? Um, 24 is much faster some movements don't feel real and then 20 is a much slower but looks more realistic um the the amount of time that dryer said this movie should take doesn't work at either frame rate so it's it's definitely it's it's weird you know um so i definitely recommend doing that before you jump into it i don't know if there's like a frame rate either of you preferred well, I think, too, uh, we should also say, too, that uh, mm -hmm. Dreyer also said that there is no definitive score for this movie. Yes. Yeah, that's so. Too. So there he in his ideal world, the movie would be played totally silent. <laughs> yeah. Which which I mean, that is an option on this disc. You could it is easily do that but you know you can also hit the mute button on your tv which also would do the same feature <laughs> exactly uh, so uh because that's exactly what it is there's no sound it's just visuals but uh but there are there's three different scores on there there's uh one voices of light which we talked about which it's a lot more like a gregorian chance it it's it's more fitting of the times and then there's also uh, Adrian Utley's uh, uh, performance on yeah. there, um, and Portishead. Um, oh, go ahead. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I was gonna say Portishead and Goldfrapp. They're like leading men coming together and making that soundtrack. But yeah, um, which, which that one's more of a modern take. And mm -hmm. then um, there's also one, the uh, Yanashida one, which is just a piano over the 20 frames per second. 
And um, the way I like the most is Voices of Light, which is played at 24 frames per second. Um, the score is really loud, little like it, it's almost, I don't know. It kind of feels the opposite of maybe what um, Dreyer would have wanted, but I think it fits very well. Um, when I watched it in my class, a lot of people said this score was cheesy. They didn't really like it because it was too over the top. But for some reason, I feel like it adds to the power of this movie. I think he did a great job with research and there's really cool moments. Like at the end of the movie, um, the last words Joan ever said, and this is true, is Jesus. That's the last thing. And then the score says Joan whenever she says Jesus. And I think, I think that's a neat thing. Um, How do you guys feel? He used the bells yeah. from the church the actual church which from her child her from her actual childhood church yeah which is yeah kind of insane i That's i, an I insane do like, detail yeah it's an insane detail and you like you can really only appreciate it when you learn that you know? yeah exactly it's like yeah you're, it's not like you're listening to it like wow those bells you know are those jones bells whoa those are some <laughs> off- they used actual bells for this wow um and i voices of light so this is I didn't research anything before watching the first, you know, my first time. I didn't look into it. I was just like, I'm going to experience the movie, learn about it afterwards. I didn't know there were multiple scores or anything, but I, you know, listening to this, I knew this sounded like obviously a score that was made later on. This is not the original score, right? This is not like, you know, uh, but I didn't, obviously I didn't know someone made it for the movie. Like, I didn't know if this was like just a recreation of the original score at the time, but learning more, um, you can tell that Einhorn was really moved by this film. And this is like, you know, his love letter to the movie itself. But as my experience, I've, you know, watching it, I was like, this is maybe a little bit too much. I think this is, I think there's a lot of emotion on screen. I think Falconetti carries the emotion so well for this movie, gives you everything you want that you don't even need a score. <laughs> Like, I would agree with Dreyer in a sense because the emotion is so strong, right? You get everything. You don't need you don't need emphasis, right? I think there are movies that do, right? If if you're watching, like, uh, you know, like uh, Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, something like that, which I, I've watched with, a, like, a newer score, and I was like, that was pretty cool. Like, I liked – I thought the newer score worked with the movie. In this case um, – I think for a score, you need to be, you should be minimalistic because the minimalism would match the actual, like the, the world around her, like the walls, the empty walls and stuff. And the other characters who are just, who are, uh, you know, cynical and pushing back, I think, because I think Falconetti carries most of the emotion. That's why I probably liked the piano one the most. Yeah, I think the piano 24 frames is definitely like maybe the closest to what you would have gotten. Like back in the day, you know, with like somebody playing in a theater played at 24 frames per second. Really, it's really nice and minimalistic. I think it it works well. But that's not me saying I think like I think all these scores are good. Like they're all pretty well done. Um, mm-hmm. Well, OK, wait a minute now. Uh, Ryan's giving me a face. Uh, you know what? I'll say that they're all well done, though. The one that I was kind of like, this is putting me to sleep was the Will Gregory and Utley one. 
Am I right or am I wrong? What, what, I, what do, I don't know. Well, what about you guys? Well, but let me let me just state my preference real quick because I didn't get a chance to. But it's I I prefer the 24 frames per second with the Voices of Light uh, score as well. I when I see my silent movies, I like seeing them like real snappy movements. Which that one, it's kind of like what I'm looking for in a silent movie. The 24 frames per second, I do appreciate. And this one for like a more, when you're trying to actually get like a feel of like the characters' faces, I think it kind of works really well. But I think, in my opinion, what I think Dryer was kind of going for was a lot more chaotic style because, like with the trial, we learned that in the movie, in the, in the context, you know, it, it, you know, it kind of takes, it all takes place in one day. But this took over days and days, weeks, months uh, long. So when it's a lot more chaotic like that, I, I like a little more uh, faster frames per second. But anyway, uh, what you're going to say about the uh, Adrian Utley uh, score, uh, in my opinion, that is it's way too jarring. Um, there's a lot of electric guitars. Uh, musical genres change like at the drop of a hat so I never really felt like I was becoming engrossed in the score and I was feeling like the emotion in it like every time you know the movie was good but every time I'd hear the score I'd just be like it just it would take me out of the movie it's just like okay I'm watching somebody's very modern take on this score and their their own their own vision so I really was not a big fan of that one yeah i i agree with it i think it sounded nice and it would sound nice if it was own instrumental album but there's there's moments where it works and then there's moments where it really doesn't work where like the style and the movie just clash way way too hard um where i'm hearing is not even mirroring what i'm seeing um and i think there's an interview there's a supplement interview where they talk about how it's a lot of improv and i think you can really tell that it's definitely improv heavy just like let's do let's just do something like whatever we see and they even said they wanted they love the idea of meshing different musical genres into one piece and they 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 wanted to make it kind of like a marriage of these so i think i i mean i think they accomplished what they wanted to do but i mean i do applaud them for trying something different but in terms of a silent movie that's it's not what i'm looking for yeah what what i was saying when they like it's it, it they're well done like this one the utley and gregory yeah like like you said nathan th- i would listen to this on its own i would play it on its own like maybe to fall asleep <laughs> <laughs> maybe i mean i would listen to it on its own it was it was good but it just it didn't fit with the movie i thought it was a little distracting uh and a little indulgent it is a little indulgent to do something like that because it's like they're they it's like they care more about the score than the movie, right? They they're not there to help the movie. Whereas, like like the piano, that just helps the movie move along. Mm-hmm. It definitely along. like because they talk about that in the thing. They're like, oh well, we were shopping for silent films, and this one came up, so we made a score for this one. And I mean, I'm sure they were tied to it in some way, but it didn't sound like like um like with the voices of light where he was like. I was loving this movie. It moved me and I wanted to create this. This is more like we, we and did. I, yeah. And he even said, Einhorn even said that he wasn't even looking to do like a movie score. He said he was, he was like, he said he was really just looking for like a project. He wasn't sure what he wanted. And then when he was 
going around like looking at different movies uh like the joan of arc one really stood out to him and uh you know in the supplements where you you know he kind of explains that he explains like the extensive research i mean that one i kind of felt like okay this man really tried to get a sense of like the time and like who joan of arc is as a person and like he you know like we said like he actually went to joan of arc's actual childhood church that was right by her house and he recorded the bells and put it into the movie so i mean that one it it really shows how passionate he was about this score yeah uh i i actually did get it i got a greater appreciation for the score afterward watching the supplement watching gregory gregory and Utley talk i just was like okay <laughs> i don't know it didn't give me a greater appreciation they were kind of like they were just like talking to each other and they're like yeah we, you know, a score should help the movie, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, and, uh, like, one guy kept stuff. kept forgetting everything. Like, he's like, oh, we did this. Uh, and he just, like, would be like, um, uh. And the other person would be like, oh, yeah, this. And he's like, oh, okay, yeah. It, yeah, it really just seemed like, the other one was like, okay, how, the Einhorn seemed like, okay, I, how can I really uh, uh, emphasize this movie with my score? And then, um the other you know the other score it just you know when they were talking it really just seemed like well you know we were more we were more 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 wanting to make like a great musical piece rather than like a musical score <laughs> exactly yeah but um we talked a little bit about the piano one did anybody watch it here in silence did anybody watch it without a score i i didn't i I could not. I, yeah. I I played it for about ten minutes silent, and like I was getting so distracted because like like my like my dryer was running at the same time. So like it would be like it would just you'd hear like a dryer hum and like a complete silence. It was so I couldn't do it. Right, like I said, I was saying that I kind of under I understand what dryer meant by complete silence, and you know I came out a little strong there saying yeah yeah like silence, but you know this is. You probably couldn't really watch this movie in complete silence. There's just too much going on. Unless you're in a movie theater, maybe. But then you'd probably get people talking, people looking at their phone. I mean, you couldn't do that nowadays. If somebody talked during Passion of Jonah Arc, I'd be so mad. I would have to yell, oh, my God. So, yeah, some beautiful piano. Get, a, uh -huh. get some nice piano. Get someone playing a little piano. Sounds good to me maybe a few other instruments i do like the chants honestly i kind of like the choir yeah oh and i do want to go into on the s in the essay book it actually has like the libretto like all of the lyrics you know for um the, for the uh, score which is awesome and it also has this it too in its original language as well um but yeah i uh I do. I'm really glad that there, I do have the option of of having to choosing which version I could see. Which I could see myself revisiting um, the Yanashida, the 24 or the 20 frames per second. But to be quite honest, if I am going to watch this movie again, I'm probably going to watch the Voices of Light again. Which this would be like this is the second time I've seen this movie, and that's how I originally saw it, and that's what originally captured my love of it so that's probably what i'm going to just end up going to that's just wanting my one i prefer but yeah. uh it's it's the version i'd recommend for more of the supplements the commentary yeah. by casper uh Tybjörg, i think that's where i i definitely learned the most right and like with yes. any comment with any commentary i mean that should be where you learn the most 
Um, he does a really good job of highlighting historical things. He like, right from the start, he says what he's going to talk about, right? He talks about the cast. I mean, I learned a lot. Uh, I actually, you know, I, I made a note, it, you know, I wrote, I wrote on a page and then I wrote on this other side of the page. So I filled up a lot. Um, you know, there was an actual one little thing. <laughs> There's an actor in this movie, uh, war, I, playing war, war, Warwick. Um, it's hard to highlight who is in this movie just because <laughs> uh, uh, not Falconetti. Uh, <laughs> Dreyer made a point to not, you know, to obscure things like who's in this movie, who you know, who's who. Um, but one of the actors uh, owned the restaurant where Rasputin had his orgies. Yeah, he brings that up in the commentary. Terry, I was like, whoa, that's cool. That's a fun fact. He just says awesome. it. He just says it and doesn't mention it <laughs> again. He's just like, yeah, yeah. that's cool, this right? Happened. Okay. Yeah. And he's really good with that because, like, he brings up just actors in the background. Like, I think there's a person that shows up twice, and he's like, "Oh yeah, he went on to be a really famous actor. He's really big over here." Um, I, yeah. I the my favorite part about it was all the historical context, just because, like I said, I almost knew nothing about Joan of Arc before this. But like in this one, like I said, Dreyer, the only one we know is Joan. We don't know of any other person's names or anything like that. But in the commentary, the guy say like specifically, oh yeah, that was that person in real life. That was that person he's portraying in real life. So, I mean, it's, it's crazy to think that, you know, all these people really did exist. And these are all like, they're not just some random priests that are just there in the room. Like these are actually like each individual person was there and they all have like a real life counterpart. Yeah, because uh, my my actual like idea of this movie was that they were non-actors. I don't this movie like because hearing about realism stuff, I thought it'd be just non-actors. But no, these were actual like actors, like actual like people with yeah. like, history. So, yeah, this movie, you know, you know big actors at the time. Uh, Dreyer did something completely opposite with the other movie that I watch, Vampire. Um, that movie is non-actors, except for like uh, maybe two people in that movie, two or three. Actually, there's a returning person in that movie, Maurice, Maurice Schutz, who played the judge. He returns as, um, he's like the owner of the mansion or whatever. According to Letterboxd, he's my most watched actor of the year. So. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wild, um, right? Um, yeah. That and Vamp Vampire, uh, that's a case where he shot in actual locations, but he still got a similar effect as this movie because of limited space right he had to get a lot of close-ups um and he had to move around the room very oddly because just like he couldn't fit everything in there and you know he was a lot more limited um and that movie is uh rightfully considered uh like a a lot more like a like an avant-garde movie <laughs> yeah because uh, it is that movie is because that is genuinely um experimental more towards avant-garde whereas this film is definitely experimental i mean making a whole movie out of uh close-ups that's you know at the time that's you know something you know you would never seen america <laughs> at least right who would who would have i mean the belief or what, what what production company would be like yeah you can do that you're perfectly fine with doing that because i mean in the commentary i learned that i learned how much of a I guess tyrant dryer was that he would he did all this stuff 
for a movie that is mostly close-ups. That that was the one thing like I was trying to figure out like what was like the truth in that because a lot of people did say he was like a real tyrant and like a lot of those emotions that we see from Falconetti is like very genuine because apparently like he would have her kneel on the floor for like hours on end like to the point where like her like he was just like in such great pain that she was crying and but you know there's been other claims that say you know that's not true that's you know they were very you know it was a definitely like two partners working together to make like a great performance and even her daughter like one of the things i was able to take away is that uh they did go to the dailies together and like actually like uh, watch the performance so i do i mean I, but you know back then you know i don't think a lot of directors behavior was regulated so i mean you really you could pretty much just get away with anything and just treat your actors like like, trash. You know, like yeah like just like literal like like slaves and just like it's like well this is it's all for art so this is what we got to do even though like you know other than trusting them like okay these are actors they can get the emotion that you want without having to torture them yeah and then and then he says in the commentary dryer was like, yeah, you know, actors, they're the creators. I just put the image on screen. They're the ones that actually make the image. So he's like saying the opposite of what you think a tyrant would say. That's like crazy with his actors and like very manipulative. Uh, another thing about this movie too is like, he had almost a, like complete freedom, right? Almost like he did all the stuff, not all the stuff, but a lot of the stuff he wanted to do. He got the, bu he got a giant budget. You know, he had, a, you know, he pushed the damn thing months and months on end, uh, which actually it lasted the same amount of months the actual trials did. Yeah. And, and then in the movie, <laughs> in the movie, he obscures that and it feels like it takes place in one day. Yeah. Like it's like, which is so interesting um because yeah you're, you're right it took about the same amount of time and it was shot in order uh, i believe that's what he says on the commentary that this was shot in order so um it added that little bit to it some um, yeah <laughs> which is something that you don't see at all really well, yes this is a criterion that we're discussing right and with a criterion this is something you're going to want to see on your bookshelf it's something you're going to want to display um for people to see when they come over and look at obviously i i think in recent times it's been more me staring at my own collection as opposed to people coming over and seeing the collection uh but i don't i don't own this one uh, i had to go off of criterion channel which has all the supplements on it so i was fine there i got to watch them all um but yeah like seven samurai let's discuss the case itself i understand the case is just it's not like thick like seven samurai so um, well we didn't but there was a couple of features that we missed there was the uh we didn't talk about like the other versions of the movie which that's like a whole other story that we haven't even touched upon is that this movie almost didn't exist and so like so one of the things is that they made this movie a long time ago, back in the twenties. And then back when one of the studios where like the original negative was caught on fire and it was just so damaged, they weren't able to save it. So for the longest time, the only version that we had of this movie from the other versions was a, which is a movie from the 1940s, uh, which was just by some guy and he edited it 
to suit his own image like they said like he put in like these like like he had like an opening credit sequence and like narration it was just stuff that dryer just absolutely hated when he yeah. saw it and it was and, all second like shots right like which, they were which all, is like, insane they yeah. had so many they had so many alternative takes that they were able to make the same movie i mean it wasn't the same but it was like it they did like a side by side which that was like honestly probably my favorite special feature of the one that was on there um i i thought which you know that you know then that's just such a crazy detail that like years later like in a in a mental institution they were they just they found the original unedited version because they even said like even when the original one came out like like a lot of like the catholic church one like tried to get edited and they removed like the one scene where jones being like tempted with the uh the sacrament so it it's crazy to think like they just they just found like a, a perfectly intact film history like a movie that's part of film history i think that's so cool like just in a mental institution somewhere this movie existed for for a long time a movie that people sought out for that first copy you know because you know silent movies think like the the statistics like 80 percent are lost you know they're missing so this movie the first edition considered lost but they found it um and now we have this nice 2k restoration of the original version that dryer intended which is great um because i don't know the first time i watched this was the dvd and the quality on that was actually not that great some shots kind of have are a little messy and stuff but this is definitely like perfectly restored and i'm glad we have that version and that that special edition the version history really made me appreciate the fact that we found this movie which is and Great. And then the only other special feature we didn't talk about was the uh, production design archive, which was it's just like it's a, a little show. Three, it's a little three minute slideshow and it kind of just shows you like what inspired like the visuals of the movie and it shows like recreated sets of the movie as well. So not exactly like a real meaty one, but I mean, it was it was interesting to yeah, say the it, least. It was fine. And I think uh, just I guess before we move on to like the cover and stuff like so we can like kind of give our opinions on the supplements um, I know Ryan you you had a question or that you wanted to post yeah. to us yeah so I mean I kind of I shot it off to you guys earlier before we recorded this but what exactly are you really looking for in supplements so when you're buying a Criterion movie what are you looking for exactly are you looking for something that that you know you learn that's something that's really informative something that's interesting something from like the filmmaker's perspective i mean what are what are you looking for i mean like when i research a movie and whenever we record a podcast i always look up like behind the scenes i i like seeing behind the scenes that's one thing um and i guess in this case behind the scenes would be more just like historical segments you know, talk about the history of this movie. I mean, the closest you can get is really listening to the commentary talking about Dreyer. Um, you know, I was never really a big commentary guy uh, before, I guess, just going through our criterions here. But now it's like, I kind of appreciate multiple commentaries, right? That's one thing I would definitely look for because commentaries can provide the most knowledge, it seems. Like if you really want to learn about the movie, you have to go through it with scholars. Like the Seven Samurai Scholar uh, scholar Commentary, that's like a, I think that has set a high watermark for what I have to look for in commentaries because that did 
give me a greater appreciation for the movie because at, at the end of the day that's what i want i want a greater appreciation for the film like if we're going to talk about it i want to be able to talk about every aspect of the movie that i can right i want to know as much as possible another thing with like criterion collection supplements i really like alternate versions of movies and yeah these are alternate versions of movies because i do think uh the score does change the tone or brings out something new in each viewing right like i was no i think i was noticing different things with each score like i was like i think on one score i was i forget which which score exactly i think it might have been the been the piano score possibly but i was noticing by the end of the movie they feel bad for joan it's like why you know they like when she is going to be executed they're kind of like this doesn't have to they're just thinking this doesn't have to happen and the only one that's like excited is like the military leader guy (laughs) who's like yeah we get to do we get to beat the the hell out of some people it's gonna rock that seems like the only guy that's actually happy about it uh, which I didn't notice on the other scores, actually. Um, so, yeah, like what I look for, like I was saying, I guess just a greater knowledge. And also, you know, some fun stuff, too. Who's not looking for some fun stuff? Right? Yeah, no, uh, and I, I agree. I, I think when I look for supplements, I want a supplement a supplements that add to, like, to the movie. Like, you know, a, a really great commentary that gives me a lot of info, like this one. This This one's great. Um, but I also do want a little more behind the scenes, but it's hard to ask for from a movie that's almost a hundred years old, you know, to go be like, oh, I really want those behind the scenes. Cause you know, it's a hundred years ago. Like we don't, we, and, and it was a lost movie for a while. We don't have that much on it. Um, but I do, I just want some special features that bring me greater understanding of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, like when I look for it, I, I really I look for something really informative a lot of times. I mean, I, I basically, cause you know, you buy so many DVDs and then when you, when you do watch special features, it's a lot of people patting themselves on the back. Like, yeah, this is a great movie. You know, like it's just, it, it, it's more promotional. It feels like, and it feels like, okay, this is how we made the movie. And this is like, giving me like a peek behind the scenes. It's more like advertising the movie that you already bought, which is very weird. So I, this one, I, I, it is, it is, you know, I'm trying to decide, you know, how forgivable it is because the, there really is not a whole lot of special features in here. It's, it's very light. I mean, you can watch all the special features, not including the commentary, but you can watch all the special features in about 40 minutes. So there's not a whole lot there, but as you said, it is a hundred year old movie. So you kind of have to decide, you know, you know is it more forgivable but at the same time though i mean the seven samurai it really feels like you know they 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 brought in all these different scholars to talk about it which it feels like you know maybe they could have done something like that one for this movie so i i don't know but i i really felt like there could have been more there could have been a lot more uh more modern people that could have easily have talked about this movie. oh yeah there could have easily been another commentary track or something. Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, it was recorded yeah. in 1999. They could have yeah. updated. They could have had a new update. Yeah. They could have done a new one because that's kind of what they did with the Seven Samurai. I feel like we picked a really good first one with Seven Samurai because I feel like that is like the tier that I would expect from a Criterion as far as supplements, commentaries go. That is an excellent addition. 
and this is a single disc set compared to that one, which was a two disc set. That's, that's just to give you an idea of how many supplements was on that one compared to this one. Uh, one thing about one thing about Criterion too that I can appreciate, like you were saying, if you buy a new movie on Blu-ray, they will, uh, you know, they'll pat themselves on the back and, you know, won't talk about like critical reception. So one thing I can appreciate about Criterion is they do talk about critical reception and how it was perceived at the time it was released, um, and what it, you know, what it stands for, like the context of the film, the actual context and i can trust what they're saying because these are people that have studied this film they're genuinely film scholars and like uh you know bona fide critics so um that's something you can definitely expect from a good release from criterion and i think criterion generally you know they hold these films up to a high standard and make sure that they have the proper context yep and like that's you know to go into the core of it that's why we picked the show because i feel like criterion puts love and care in every release and i do think that um it's important you know that they that they do this and uh yeah in in regards to these in regards to these supplements one disappointment i had was that there was just not enough about falconetti who is the i think the most interesting subject here right like i don't know enough i don't know anything about her really except she was on you know she was famous in theaters uh and wasn't in many movies that's like i don't know what i want like i can't really tell you much i mean like doing my own research you know she died of suicide um she moved to argentina like there's so much in there that i think could have easily been brought about there and then i and so i mean it would have been nice to hear a lot more about her yeah I, i i agree where's the falconetti documentary that would be really interesting. I don't know, like just like a cool, like thirty minutes, like run through, because like you said, that's interesting. She moved to Argentina, and I guess you know she has a daughter, and she probably it sounded like she knew everything that was going on with the filming of this. It seems like she would have been a good source of info, but yeah, we're kind of missing just out. Some, on that. Just add some subtitles next time when you interview her, please. Yes, please. <laughs> um, yeah, and that was probably the most substantial special feature is the interview. Otherwise, the special features. I guess the version history and the frame rate was nice, but once again, they're like, like how long, like maybe 10 minutes. Maybe. They're only 10 minutes. And I, I would have loved, I mean, like I said, we, this movie almost didn't exist. And I really feel like that could been, that could have been a whole documentary, like a whole like 50, 45 minute documentary, even 30 minutes, like just talking about how the movie was almost gone forever. And in the like, so I, I really feel like there's a lot more that's on the table and, you know, and, and a lot of these commentary, I mean, a lot of these special features too, it's, you're only getting one voice too in each of these documentaries. It's not like a round table discussion or like multiple different people. It'd be, it's, it's usually just one guy reading from like a prepared script a lot of times. So it's not as lively as a lot of the other, as the seven samurai one, but it's, you know, I just, it's, it just felt really dry. Just kind of like, okay, well, let's, uh, we'll talk about this. But again, too, I, I think a lot of these, like uh, Chris said, I think a lot of these were filmed for like the DVD release originally. So it seems like it just, it hasn't been updated. So I think that's like the main issue. Yeah. I, I think the big deal was this one had a new score and they did like the restoration. Otherwise there really wasn't 
much else. Now, as on. for because we talk about the case, I mean, like putting on your bookshelf, right? It's, yeah. it's just a it's a black and white case, like Seven Samurai. It isn't like a sleeve. It's just a a normal disc. Yeah, case. It's, it's a case. But you um, yeah. But I do really like the cover. I like <laughs> yeah, the yes. cover art, even though it's you know once again like Seven Samurai, they didn't go too crazy. You yeah, know. there's no art, but I feel like that would honestly like this right here. It's literally Joan with the crown crying. If you want to explain this movie in one frame, this is it. Like you pull this out, this is this is the movie right here. Right. Um, I would I would consider picking it up just because of the cover and obviously the film itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, like uh, maybe if it's on like I'd buy it on the half off sale at Barnes and Noble. <laughs> like sure, yeah. maybe one day I'll pick it up pick up a nice blu-ray for this film um and all, and also included with the case just like seven samurai you also get a list of essays and other supplements that are also in there and so if there's it so there is more information in here that you may not get in the commentary but uh i do agree though like uh the the photo itself i mean like I, that's perfect I, that's what i that's i when i think of this movie this is the type of image that I'm, i always that always comes to mind yeah. yeah uh uh did either of you read the book yeah i i read i read through it um it's good just good little essays one was from like the release in france kind of going over what the movie was about the other one is kind of an essay from let me look from uh, Lark, Mark Lee Fanu, and he just kind of goes through the history, kind of, it goes over similar things that the commentary goes over, but in a nice condensed, like, essay. They're, they're good reads. Yeah, I'd, I'd recommend checking it out. Cool, and, yeah. you know, some other slight things I learned from the commentary, just small, interesting things, was one, this was, there was, this was very controversial when it was being made, just because it wasn't a French director. They were, you know, France was upset. We want a French director for our French movie, but Joan of Arc. Um, and another was that they were considering an American actress uh, for the main role, Lillian Gish, a film, you know, like Birth of the Nation. That's what she's mainly known for. Uh, another thing about this movie, I said this is sort of a, uh, you know, film school essential uh was that it is also a perfect example of the five act tragic structure because in the commentary he goes through it which is act one takes place in the chapel it's exposition act two takes place in the cell psychological forces confronted act three torture uh the torture room the conflict increased and it forms into a crisis act four uh takes place in the i'm gonna say this wrong the peripatia uh that's a surprising turn and act five the stake we have our resolution so there you go if you are interested in the five act structure of a tragedy here you here you are any points it out example of that yeah it's really good so Uh, yeah you you know like i said best supplement here i would say it's the commentary for sure i mean the, the other scores are nice they do add more to the film but i think at the end of the day the commentary is what going to give you the most. Yeah, the commentary is probably like because once I got once I got through like the other special features, I was like, okay, the only thing I have left is the commentary. So I really, for me to for me to really recommend this, I really need the commentary to be great. Which it was good. I I, I did like it. It was informative. 
it was good. I will say one thing, another thing about the scholar, like, yeah, uh, the amount of people talking does keep it lively and moving along. And it, like, you'll get through a three and a half hour long commentary. And I mean, it's a lot of information for that film, but you learn so much and it's so interesting and, and entertaining. It, it just seemed like too, like the scholars too, like their voice was a lot more natural. It didn't seem like they're reading from like a prepared script. Like this guy that was reading the commentary for this one, it, it, it sounded like he was reading like a book. Yeah, it sounded like he was reading an essay. Like he written everything down and he was just saying it. And like, yeah, the scholar, I like that because the scholar's commentary, yeah, it definitely felt natural. Like a lot of like, oh yeah, and this and this. But this guy definitely was just, he planned this, which I guess isn't, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but at a certain time it can get a little tiring. But at least this movie is really short. So yeah, there's so, that. So I guess like the final thing is, is would would you recommend this as a buy? Like is when you when you go and like when the sale comes up or whatever, would you recommend that people buy the physical disc because you know it includes all the supplements, or would you say there's not enough here? I just watch the movie on Criterion Channel. Um, it's so hard to say. So I'm like, I on the like, fence with it yeah i don't own it so mm-hmm. i guess would i consider buying it like i said if the sale came up like when i when the sale comes up i actually i go to barnes and noble i pick out a few um i think once i've already bought the ones that i really want i think i would consider buying this it's not worth it for the supplements those are disappointing but i think this is a movie that you know it's a masterpiece and worthy of your collection right it's worth having even if there's you know the overall package is a little disappointing i think the movie is so strong that it's yeah it seems like it's worth owning maybe not for full price but if you can get that nice i mean even if it's just a dvd right dvds would be like what 15 bucks on sale maybe 20 bucks yeah or probably 15 15 it seems like it would be worth owning purely um, just for the film that's the thing is like i can't recommend it too much on the supplement side other than saying the commentary is good um i i i think i might have to go with stream it maybe for your first time and if you really love it go out and buy it um i don't know about a blind buy just based off of supplements but i do think it's an important enough movie that you should watch it i think this movie should be watched if you're a fan of movies this this is like um this is a masterpiece it's a um, I guess like on a review basis of my feelings of the movie, I'm not much of a religious person, but this movie does move me every time I watch it. I come out very emotional. Um, so yeah, I, I at least recommend watching it. Maybe not a full out buy unless you're a huge fan of the movie. Yeah. So I, I, I always look for certain things, like I said, and one thing I do want to kind of, at least for me that I want to kind of say bef- before I give my recommendation is that, I think you should buy all the Criterion movies because well, <laughs> it uh, it gives you it gives you know helps them out and it uh, it's just it's great for film preservation. So I mean, if there's any movie that you are kind of halfway interested in, uh, I think you should. But just 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 in matters of supporting them. But just putting all that aside, would I recommend it? The film itself is worth a buy. Uh, the supplements, not really so much. So. 
if you're asking me, I think the film is worth the buy itself. I think it kind of supersedes the supplements. Um, if you're a fan, I mean, obviously, if you're not a fan of silent films, this is definitely not one you're going to buy anyway. But if you do like silent films and great air, character acting performances, I mean, I think this should be one you own. So I I would say is it's, it would be a buy. But, you know, it is on the Criterion channel. If you don't, if you're if you're a guy that loves special features, then I, yeah. would, I would just stream it. But off of that, I would say if you don't like silent movies, this might be the movie that could change that. I think this movie, like it's fast-paced editing, I think it doesn't have the qualities of what someone might not like in a silent movie. So yeah, I didn't yeah. I didn't mention this earlier, but it reminds me of a music video, actually. <laughs> like the oh, fast yeah. cutting. Like this definitely inspired music videos later on. I'm sure you can find some in the nineties uh, or eighties that were just like images ripped from this film mm -hmm. for sure um, does it remind you of a portishead music video because i mean that's what they wanted you to think of. honestly <laughs> probably like i'm not gonna lie to you <laughs> it it seems like there's a short film i haven't watched yet on the criterion channel where it's passion of the jonah arc where i i guess all the scenes are from the movie but it's a different actress just doing falconetti's part it's yeah. like yeah I, um it's called Passion of Jonah Arc as well, I think. I haven't watched it yet, but I'm really I, interested to check it out. I did watch that, and it's... How is it? Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, I don't know why. Like, honestly, <laughs> when you type in Passion of the Jonah Arc, I don't know why that pops up. Like, it pops up before even the movie. That's so sad. It's weird. It's like, it just feels like some, like, dumb thing someone made there, like, on a, like, they were bored <laughs> on a weekend, maybe. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Not really worth talking about very much. It just feels like a like a little like a comedy skit that wasn't very funny. And yeah. Like something you just keep for yourself when you don't really upload it. Don't put it on the Criterion channel. <laughs> don't really. Why? I don't know why it's on the Criterion <laughs> channel, but sure. Like if they want to put it on there, why not? I guess. Yeah. But they want um, to have it on there. I, I don't know. But yeah, that, that was Passionate Jonah Arc. Um, but obviously those aren't the only opinions that exist, right? There's other people out there um, that watch this movie and may have not enjoyed it. Do we got any bad reviews? Yeah, so I went on IMDb and I always go for straight to the bottom of the barrel. Like I want to get the one star review and I'm here to report there's not one single one star review. It was, we had a minimum of two stars. Wow. Nobody so, hated it that much. Nobody, nobody absolutely hated it, thought it was the worst movie ever made, like Seven Samurai. They were just like, it was bad, but it wasn't the worst thing I've seen. So uh, I have a recent review. Um, it says, useless film, and this is from 2020. Uh, <laughs> she said, uh, this person says, uh, I've read about Joan of Arc and this film was exactly how I imagined everything. I learned absolutely nothing new from this film and I had much more fun reading about her than watching a film about her. There's no point of watching this film. If you can just read her story, you'll probably learn way more that way too, which that's fair. If, if you're, if you're going to watch this movie and you got a term paper about Joan of Arc and you, then yeah, it's, that's a fair criticism. 
but you're miss at this point you're missing the point it's about the emotion oh my god sorry i, I hate that useless movie that just <laughs> just that pissed me off so bad oh, so read the script i guess yeah don't read the, the film yeah you don't have to watch it interesting uh, another one from 2010 says okay maybe it's only because the first three minutes of the movie didn't get my attention, but I didn't like it. But I'm gonna try again some other time. Like that's so are you serious? Think... It's fair, <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> Played it's oh my god. <laughs> some from 2005. Uh, title is "Send Back to That Mental Institution." <laughs> <laughs> Wow. For me, for most of its length, it, this is a magnificently dull film. It has literally nothing to recommend recommend it at first to anyone who actually expects entertainment from it. Uh, Joan of Arc uh, is a fascinating character, but frankly, showing a lot of pompous jurors and other court officials asking her questions and her just staring forward like a deer in headlights just doesn't work. It is true that some that some skill emerges if you wait long enough, the torture device, the revolt. But frankly, I think it is a big mark against the film that we never see Joan doing any of the things that made her the important figure she is, like lifting the siege at uh, Orleans uh, would have been nice, even if it's just a flashback for a few seconds. An insane person, no doubt, would be able to stand up to torture if they think they are in the right. So it weakens the image of Joan I'm not altogether sure that the revolt at the end was even real. I'm, and I'm dead sure there are a lot of anachronisms in it. That to me means the movie is tarnishing Joan's name with propaganda slant. Oh my God. Do these people just want a documentary? Like, is that all they want? Wouldn't it, wouldn't you say because we don't see her military exploits and all the big things she did, it's kind of easier to put yourself in her shoes in a way or relate yeah. with her? It, right? it, you don't yeah, look, she becomes relatable. You don't but really that, look up to her in a way. That's the thing. Yeah, and this is not a biopic. This is not like the life of Joan of Arc. This is not this is not what they wanted. And yeah, of course, there is some stuff in there that's gonna have anachronism. That's with every movie because there are certain things in there that just don't exist back then. But and you know, the revolt too. I mean, yeah, they they had to add something in there. There's gonna be stuff that's not actually that happened so it's just it's to me it's so insane that's like they, they were really just wanting like a whole movie of her life they wanted a documentary that's what they wanted and that's not like what you get out of this i said that you don't really look up to her in a way which is ironic because throughout the whole movie it's all from extreme low angle shots you know yeah you actually do and it's like right? throughout and i noticed one thing throughout the whole movie she's like looking up right her chin is like pointed up in a way it's like she's looking up at god throughout the entire film throughout the entire thing until the end when she looks down to pick up the rope yeah it's, yeah that's that's another thing i mean like it's a girl you know that she stands by her ideals and then you know she gets pushed to her breaking point where she actually lets go of like her beliefs for a brief moment but she's such a strong enough character that you know she's she goes back she's willing to die for her beliefs and even still, she's not even bitter that they're killing her when she does go down to pick up the rope. So I honestly, these reviews make me a little sad because it's almost like they're saying like she's only worthy because of what she did at war. You know, like these trials, you know, they don't really 
that doesn't really matter in the long run. It was what she did before, you know, it, it's a little sad. Uh, I'll do one more. Uh, it says hardly watchable. And this came out, this review is written last month. Oh, um, fresh. Haters gonna hate, but here it goes. Just to give some context, I'm watching all movies from the top 250, and this was one of the last remaining ones, so I'm used to old and or silent movies, which I often like. I believe the rating should reflect the audience feeling as of today, and honestly, I had a hard time making it to the end. The whole movie is basically close-ups on overplaying actors flipping their lips, and from time to time, some text with the questions and answers. The shortness of the text doesn't do justice to the actual exchanges that take, took place, which are very interesting. Tackling this theme for a silent movie was ambitious and might have been well-received at the time, but I can't imagine anyone in their right mind enjoying it today. Spoiler, she dies at the end. Nice. Thanks, oh, Joan of Arc dies at the end? <laughs> oh, my God. Sucks, dude. Oh, no. All but, of these actors um... are dead now? <laughs> That's that <could> be a <laughs> Whoa! Spoiler. But I so I don't. He said this person says they enjoy silent movies, but they're just like I can't imagine anybody feeling like they like this movie. So I'm like, so but it's on the two fifty. Yeah, I'm like, it, people obviously do like this movie, and you know, it's like, oh, it's just a bunch of close ups, and I'm just like, that's what makes it so good. Like, uh, yeah, exactly. That's what makes it different. And like, um, like, and here's another thing. He says like, oh, it's just actors flapping their lips. Yeah, like other silent movies. Have you never seen like a silent movie where they just like mime, just like yeah, and then it pops not, up. This like, is not this is not a Quentin Tarantino movie where you're just gonna get hit with like rapid dialogue. Over no, this is a silent movie. Yeah, you God. can't you can't really compare vocal performances to silent films. In no performances because they're gonna silent films. They have to play way more to the camera. Uh, yes. Another thing too, I'm saying that. You know, they can't imagine anyone liking this movie. Uh, well, one, I mean, once you realize that every movie is somebody's favorite movie. Yeah, which is realize that an idea I subscribe to as well. There's someone out yeah. there that, you know, loves, I don't know, what's a, like, Paranormal Jack and Chill. 4 or something. That's her favorite <laughs> yeah. film. Right? Or once Jack and Chill, yeah. But also, this is a movie that every, like, <laughs> It has a, one, it has a criterion release, so it must mean something. But two, I mean, every single, I don't know, if you read any positive review, there's tons of positive reviews. So what is yeah. this person even talking about? It's not like a movie you have to fight for, like, oh, yeah, somebody out there thinks The Room is a great masterpiece. This this movie is loved by many people. This movie's yeah, you don't on, have to make that. <laughs> he's literally talking about the top 250. <laughs> Talking yeah. about going through the movies, the top two fifty. Okay, which there's which, some very, which there's some very questionable movies on that list too to begin. Oh with. yeah, so, <laughs> but, but modern hey, movies. At least they're people's favorites, right? Somebody out there loved this. Yeah, like, like even even if you don't agree with Forrest Gump being on there, you understand that Forrest Gump's a huge cultural phenomenon, at least at the time when it came out, and people still love it. So it's yeah. like, yeah, the top two fifty. Yeah, uh, we'll, and, we'll have to yeah. and I would never ever shit on somebody's movie taste. I mean, I could judge no. them silently, but you know, I'm not <laughs> going to. I'm not going to say it to their face. I'm just saying, I, I don't. I can't imagine anybody liking this movie. But you know, there are people that love everything out there, like you said. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, that was that was it. That was Passion of Joan of Arc. Um, 
thanks everybody for listening. Um, I thought I thought we did a great. It was a great episode. Um, next episode, we're covering something a little different. Harold and Maude, 1971, spine number 608. I'm excited. Change up the formula a little bit. Do something in color. It's a comedy. Um, yeah. Should be a lot Wait, of fun. so we're doing a movie that's in color and we don't have to read subtitles? What even is the show anymore? What I know. is the show? I can't believe it came out on Criterion, right? Bad joke. <laughs> I I don't own this movie. I don't own this movie. But uh, it's it's on the Criterion channel, so another uh, addition, right? Yeah. Yeah. They have the commentary on there, so we're all good. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, we'll we'll see you guys in another two weeks. Um, I guess one more time. I'm Nathan. Oh, me? I get to say my name now? Okay. Uh, Chris Show Mealy. There you go. And I'm Ryan Hope. Yeah. Terrific. And have a great day. Bye. I'll catch Bye-bye. you guys. I'll catch you guys on the next spine. Good evening.